Christmas brings all kinds of memories. For my family, no surprise to many of you, we have an odd one. We watch the movie Harvey every Christmas. Now, many of you are too young to even know the movie Harvey, and the others of you think, why in the world would you even watch it on Christmas? It's a movie based on a play that had Jimmy Stewart, who played a man, a retired sort of attorney named Elwood P. Dowd. And Mr. Dowd had been, lived in the social circles of his community until one day he was introduced to a puka named Harvey. To which you ask, what's a puka? A puka is a phantom, a, a fairy-like character that can appear in a number of different ways. And in Dowd's example, instance, it was a six-foot, four-and-a-half-inch invisible rabbit named Harvey. Why do we watch that at Christmas? Because I like it. I remember watching it as a child and being mesmerized by the movie, first of all, because, you know, back then we had pretty rotten black and white TVs, and I thought, something's wrong. I can't see the rabbit. <laughs> by the time I was 30, I figured out that no one else could, but it, it took a while. I know most of you watch It's a Wonderful Life, which is also a Jimmy Stewart movie, and I'm, I'm for that, but... But Harvey is a tradition, and, and my daughter in Germany bought a, uh, the copy of it, and she'll watch it in Germany, and we will all celebrate together. Because for me, it was one of the first movies I remember placing myself in the story. I remember thinking what it was like to be in the presence of Harvey and all the kooky characters that made up the plot. And I'm convinced the point of the play is that sanity is not worth all it's cracked up to be, and I personally have found that to be true as a life story as well. But great stories, whether movies or books, the thing that's great about them is when they draw you into the story, when you become a part of the plot. When, when you read the story and suddenly you become one of the characters, you catch yourself thinking, well, would I respond that way? Would I have that courage? Would, would I be that funny? Would I be that brave? Would I be that laughable? I mean, when, when, you, when you read a great story or watch a great movie or attend a wonderful play, the real secret to it is when it draws you in and you suddenly become a part of the story. It becomes your story for a little while. And that's why great literature can make us better because it stretches our ability to become more like our heroes. And that's why, by the way, what you read does matter. Because when you only read dark and cynical nonsense, it does not encourage that aspect of who you are. There was an article in yesterday's Wall Street Journal written by their film critic. And the theme of the story was that the movies taught us how to celebrate Christmas. He, 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 he makes the point that celebration of Christmas for many Christians had become uh, de-emphasized. The Puritans felt it was way too much partying to be holy. And then Charles Dickens wrote, 
the Christmas story, and that created a whole movement that he believes is traced through much of the Christmas movies we watch today. But the point that's interesting he makes is that those Christmas stories going all the way back to Dickens ignore the story of Christmas. It is merely a setting, and what moviedom, with very few exceptions, has taught us is that Christmas is a sort of romantic draw into social good. That, that Christmas somehow causes us, when we understand the true meaning, to do good things. And if you think about it, with very few exceptions, as they say, that's what Christmas is all about. Doing good, feeling good, being encouraged to do something that you have not done and to be something that you have not previously been. We've been studying the last two weeks, Luke chapter 1 and 2, which is, is the most famous of the gospel's depiction of the Christmas story. And, and when you read it, you're absolutely right to realize that the, the character upon, around which the whole story revolves is obviously Jesus. It is, it is a story about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ child, the Son of God, the one whom the Father sends to earth, and, and ultimately we understand to bring redemption, to, to fix what is broken in a tired old world. And we are right when we read it to read it with a view to understanding who Jesus is. But we make a mistake if we read it and pay no attention to the other characters in the story. Because I believe Luke includes those characters so that you and I will be drawn into the story as well. Those characters are significant to the story. Each one represents some other need that humans have, some other type of person. Each one is important to understanding why Jesus came, what the meaning of Christmas is. First, you have Zechariah. Remember Zechariah, the priest who goes in this one time of his life to light the incense, to pray for the people? What do Zechariah and Elizabeth represent? A couple of things. They represent people who have been doing the right thing all their lives, but it doesn't seem to have paid off. Does that connect for anyone? They've spent their whole lives devoted to their duty, trying to please their God, and yet the most basic desire they have as a couple has been unfulfilled. And, and I dare say, that they have had moments when they said, God, is it worth obeying you if you don't answer your, our prayers? Because many, if not most, followers of Christ have moments when in quiet we ask that question. When, when we, we've sought to do the right thing, and yet God chooses not to answer the prayer the way we'd ask. 
They also reflect, by the way, people who long for God's promise to be fulfilled. They, Zechariah was a student of the Old Testament Scriptures. He knew the prophecies of what God would do for Israel. He longs for God to fulfill all of those promises. He longs, if you will, for a political solution to the world's problems, but that not, will not be met either. And then there's Mary. Mary's young. It's often the case that in the believing community, youth is treated like a horrible, horrible weakness. Sometimes we so emphasize wisdom that we depreciate the youth. Uh, interesting, Paul says, let the older men glory in their wisdom and the young men glory in their strength. Scripture sees strength and value in each. That's why I'm so grateful for a church that has bald and graying hair as well as young and natty hair. It all fits together for us. But Mary probably is a teenager, and she's about to enter the greatest monumental time of her life, her marriage, and God comes along and ruins it on one level. Because in her obedience to God, she is put in a position where she will be an outcast and ridiculed probably for the rest of her life. In that culture, having a child before marriage would have been a scarlet letter that would have never been forgotten. She, she wears shame. And some people that read the Christmas story read it with an abiding sense of shame. Because somewhere along the way, something happened in their life that caused people that they love to condemn them. Or perhaps it was a secret that caused us to condemn ourselves. But, but many come to Christmas burdened by a sense of shame, wondering how to be relieved of it. Then there's Joseph. I think a lot about Joseph because so little is said about him. He, he is apparently an older man. He is taking this young bride. He's got all this excitement, and then an angel shows up, which is awkward in the first rite, and then the angel gives him news that, that has got to put him in a very intensely difficult situation because the angel says, oh, by the way, Mary's having a baby. It's not yours, but don't worry. It's from God. And interestingly, unlike Zechariah the priest, Joseph embraces that truth. Joseph doesn't react negatively. Instead, he honors Mary for the rest of her life. Then there's Simeon and Anna, spiritual people, righteous people. People who had waited, waited literally their whole lives for something. You know, Anna's life almost looks like a waste. Really? You were married seven years and then you spent the rest of your life in church? The pews must have been really comfortable. Uh, 
What a crazy way to spend your life. And yet, in Luke, she hears the words that bring a culmination to her all of her desires. And Simeon, this righteous man, articulates it for her in some ways. And when he says, uh, we, we have now seen what we've waited for. And he literally says, I can die now. You, you have all of these people in Luke 1 through 2 that represent all of the different ways that people meet Jesus. And that doesn't count the two that Matthew will add, the magi, foreigners, uh, outsiders, men of some influence, both in science as well as religion, who made a long journey and appeared and, and had significant roles. And then there are the angels. The angels keep appearing. Messengers from God. And, and they tell all the characters how to respond to Jesus' birth. What do they say? He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah King. He will bring some people up. He will tear some people down. But in essence, no one will be able to ignore this child because he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. The angels intrude into the lives of many of these people and articulate a message that, that you know they went home and scratched their heads and waited and wondered if this baby would live up to his press. So who are you in the Christmas story? See, when we read the Christmas story and it's just a story about a child born in history and it's somehow informational, whether theological or historical or sociological, when we read it and it's just something to learn, then we've missed the point. Because the meaning of Christmas is not just that Jesus came. The meaning of Christmas is he came for people. It's not just that he is the Messiah, but he is also the Savior. It's not just that he's a fact. He is, in fact, the person, the person of God, uniquely man and God, and just as these characters met him, Luke wants us to meet him as well. In fact, Luke, as he goes through, one of the reasons I love this gospel, he will introduce to all manner of responses, some who are rich, some who are poor, some who are um, smart, some who are not so smart, some who are brave, some who are cowardly, some who are powerful, some who are weak. Uh, we will see children and adults and old people and young people. We will see uh, foreigners and Jews. Luke wants us to see that Jesus came to interact with people where they are and meet their greatest need.
So if you ask me what Christmas is about, obviously every child who's grown up in Sunday school knows to say Jesus. In fact, in Sunday school, that's the answer to almost every question. It'll get you out of a lot of trouble uh, if you just say Jesus. But Jesus didn't just come. He came to meet us. He came to meet us where we are. And some of us are deeply disillusioned and hurt. Some of us carry incredible shame. Some of us seem as remotely significant, perhaps even a nuisance. Some of us wonder what all the fuss is about. By the way, that's why I think Luke likes angels. They're just hard to ignore. The angels come to speak to the characters to simply say, this matters to you. And he has come for you. And wherever you are, he has come to meet you there. But you have to make a choice. What's our choice? How will we respond to Jesus? Will we meet him in our shame, our cynicism, our hurt, our fears, our distrust? Or will we try to turn away, hear some nice songs, eat some great food, watch a little football and basketball and going down the way. Luke, I believe, wants us to see that the meaning of Christmas is not just about Jesus and not just about the characters he introduces us, but just like with every great story ever written, You and I are in it too. And just as Jesus came to Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Zechariah, Jesus has come to us today. And he knows who we are. But he wants to meet us where we are. And he offers all that's lacking all that's broken in us and in the world around us. Christmas is about Jesus. But Christmas is about that Jesus has come to you and to me. There's no shame, there's no failure, there's no fear, there's nothing else too great to stop him from meeting us where we are. If God can become man, then no barrier we build is too big. The question is, how will we respond?